You're listening to the Author Stories Podcast. Bringing you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Margaret Wise, Sherry Brooks, Sheena Kamal, Matthew Quick, JT Ellison, Walt D. Williams, Brad Ford, Corey, Dr. O, Brandon Sanderson, Robin Mom, Ernest Klein, Jim Butcher, Sherwin Harris. Visit hankgarner.com for archives of all the shows. Today's guest is... Well, thanks for joining me again for the Author Stories Podcast, where I bring you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Today, I'm really excited to have Ellie Griffiths on the show with me today. She has a phenomenal new book. It's called The Locked Room. And uh, guys, you know, I love thrillers. It's it's probably one of my go-to genres. Um, and uh, when when I picked this book up and read it, it just sucked me down the rabbit hole. This is so much fun. Um, a little prescient uh, for for the time that we've just lived through, but uh, I think you're going to love it as much as I did. Welcome to the show, Ellie. Hi, it's lovely to be here. It's lovely to have you. Um, Ellie, we begin each show with the same question, and that question is, what is your first memory of wanting to be a writer or storyteller? Well, do you know, I was thinking about this and I was thinking it's all to do with, for me, it's kind of all to do with Starsky and Hutch <laughs> because uh, when I was at school, I used to, I loved Starsky and Hutch um, and I used to write like little episodes of Starsky and Hutch uh, for my friends. You know, I'd kind of, you know, just, just in longhand, just sort of write down what would happen in the episode. And I do remember one week I killed off Starsky. Which, oh, no. which was, you know, I know, and he was my favourite too. I don't know what I was thinking. Anyhow, in the, this little story, I killed Starsky, and I remember my friends reading it at school, and some of them started to cry. <laughs> and and you know, I quite liked that. Um, I guess I guess it was more that I sort of thought, oh, I wonder if I can do this. You know, I thought I might just have worked out how to do that. And it's it's silly, isn't it? Because it's only really the order in which you put words on a page. It can can make you laugh or it can make you cry and I suddenly thought oh I might know how to do this so I think that was the first moment although I'd kind of you know maybe always wanted to be a writer that was my first moment of thinking oh maybe I can do this wow well and and as a series author uh, you know that you can't just kill off a title character <laughs> no, no don't worry I mean Ruth and Nelson are safe but wasn't I brave I was probably braver than uh, I am now just to I'll, kill off Starsky but you I'll, know it was uh I don't think there was much plot I just think it was Starsky died Hutch's bad you know so I think I've got better at plotting that's that's delving into Game of Thrones territory there if you start killing off favorite characters isn't it? Yes. And, and you know, that that's very brave when that happens. But I have to say that's not going to happen to my main character. Ruth. So from from that early, um, you know, writing fan fiction experience and realizing that you could hold people's emotions in your hands and and you could, uh, you know, make them laugh or make them cry. And 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 the power that comes from that thought. Um, I think we've all experienced that, um, you know. From that moment to then becoming a professional author who is published and who is, uh, you, you know, your your career is telling these stories. Um, there's there's usually a lot of life that happens between those two moments, and um, I, I love to talk about the circuitous path of of authors. Uh, rarely have I met, you know, I've done more than 
uh, I think we're up on 1300 um, uh, author interviews now. And, and I can count on, on one hand two maybe the people that, that said they wanted to be an author and that's the only career path they ever pursued. It just, it just, everything just happened the way they planned for it to, it doesn't happen like that for most people. Um, what, what was your path to, to, uh, you know, deciding to 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 write your first book and get it published and and where were you in life when that was happening? That's so true, isn't it? And I think it's one of the lovely things about writing yes. that most people have done other things, haven't they? They've been sort of doctors or journalists or taxi drivers. People have usually done other things, and I am um, quite often going to schools and do talks and. Uh, kids often ask, you know, oh, you know, how do I become a writer? And it's quite a nice question because, of course, there's no one way, is there? And there's no exam you take and there's no career path. So I kind of do love that about writing. And, um, yeah, it was exactly the same with me. So I probably wanted to be a writer probably from, from that moment of writing that Starsky and Hutch story when I was about 15. Um, but uh, I, I kind of did all, all the things that you might do. I read English at university. Then I worked in a library for a while. But really, my career was in publishing. I went to work for HarperCollins in the UK as a publicity assistant. And I ended up as um, editorial director for children's fiction. So I was publishing children's fiction. And it was a great, you know, it's a great job. I worked with some great writers, people like Michael Mopergo and Lynn Reed Banks and um, you know, was was really fulfilling, but sort of made me forget that I actually wanted to write the books myself. So I didn't write what became my first published book until I was on maternity leave. And I've got twins who are 24. So I guess that was 25 years ago. Um, I, I, you know, started to write what became my first published book. Um, but it was published under my real name, which I, I don't know if you know, my real name is Domenica de Rosa. So it sounds made up. I know my <laughs> real name. My real name sounds exactly like a pseudonym, but it is my real name. My, my dad was Italian. Um, and so I eventually had that book published as Domenica de Rosa and it was called The Italian Quarter. And it was kind of a little bit about my dad's life as an Italian immigrant in London. So that was my first published book. But yes, it, it came after a, a kind of long, circuitous route and I was kind of in the, the world of publishing but but I wasn't actually writing the books myself so yeah it took quite a long time well I, I love that you worked in publishing uh because uh and I know a, a few um writers who worked in publishing to begin with and and I hear um, kind of two different stories and sometimes they're the uh the experience is valid both experiences are valid but but some people say that um that working in publishing sort of pulled back the curtains and exposed um, the industry of publishing to them and kind of demystified a lot of the experience because it, you, you see that it is attainable and it's attainable by people just like me in a lot of cases. So if they can do it, then then surely I can do it, you know, because it's 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 an it's an industry and people work in industries and it's a it's a it's a job, you know, that like, of course, there's a lot of woo-woo and, and a lot of you know mysticism in in writing but at the end of the day it's a job and and people do jobs so um so you know demystifying is kind of one aspect of it but the other aspect and you touched on this a minute ago is that you can get so involved in the industry in the machine of it all that you forget to um to realize that that was your dream in the beginning and it kind of your dream gets consumed by the the daily job of it all. Um, 
what was it that was it maternity leave that you had time on your hands and you kind of separated from the the daily work of it all was that what uh, kind of reignited that spark for you I think it was and I think it's really true that um I mean, I suppose publishing, editing is quite creative. So maybe I was using that creative side of me um, to edit other people's books. But I suppose I, I still thought that I, I would like to publish. But but as you sort of said in, in the first bit of your question, publishing is it's it's an industry, isn't it? And it's it's yeah. about money and, and publishers publish books to make money. And that's not wrong. That's their job. And sure. um, so it, it does make you a little bit. Um, scared about doing that yourself you know you can imagine your book I suppose I had a really strong imagination of my book going to the sort of acquisitions meeting and people saying well you know should we publish this or I don't know (laughs) and uh, (laughs) I could imagine that so clearly it did slightly put me off trying myself and I think maternity leave did give me a bit of a space from that world and a bit of time to think I mean I didn't finish the book on maternity leave my twins are about four when I finished it um so you did give give me a little a little time to think about it so I think I think it was useful working publishing because I could could imagine that I you know I still can what, what those meetings are like you know we talk about the, when they talk about the cover and they talk about the book but um that's also a bad thing because I can imagine people saying oh I don't think much of this one and you know so I can I can easily writers are very good at catastrophizing oh I don't know if I've said that right you know what I mean think of yeah. the worst case scenario <laughs> and I right. can totally just imagine everyone groaning at a meeting saying oh not another one from her so you have to stamp down that bit of your imagination <laughs> you you said that the first book that you published you published under your your real name Dominica de Rosa and it was uh, a nod sort of to your father's life and uh, it was it was a story that was that was close to to your personal experiences you you drew on some real life uh, elements but they, of course it was fictional but but you were able to draw on things that you knew uh from that um i i heard a story about how ellie griffiths uh was born though and and it came from from a, a a a mystical story idea if you will and then you know from that story the need for a different name uh came about could could you tell us that story about that that first book idea and and how the the uh the the pin name of of Ellie was born yes of course so i i wrote four books um as domenica de rosa and they were all kind of about Italy, family, relationships, that sort of thing. Sure. Um, but then I, I had an idea for a different sort of book, and it was going to be about archaeology. And the reason for that is that my husband, Andy, it had a career change. So when I met him, he was a lawyer. And I actually met him in, in a city wine bar, if you can imagine, in London. <laughs> he was there with all his lawyer friends, and I was there with my publishing friends. And I remember at some point in the evening, he said, oh, you know, I, I didn't really want to be a lawyer. I wanted to be an archaeologist. And I thought, oh, that's so sweet. Um, so we got married. Um, and, then, and then when we, we were married and we had two young children, he said, oh, do you remember that thing about being an archaeologist? I'd kind of like to do it now. Um, and it did seem a bit less sweet, I can tell you. So um, Andy went back to he went back to university and he studied archaeology. And um, 
it, it became an interest for both of us. And one day we were walking across uh, Titchwell Marsh, which is a marshland on the North Norfolk coast there with our young children. Because, you know, when he went back to university, we couldn't afford, you know, those lovely Tuscan holidays before that inspired <laughs> my Italy book. So we went back to Norfolk. And the reason why we went to Norfolk was because my aunt lives there. And uh, I'd always spent a lot of time with my aunt when I was a child. And she has a boat, which is on the Norfolk broads on the rivers there. So we, we went back to having those sort of holidays with her. Um, and Andy and I were walking across Titchwell Marsh um, and Andy happened to say that prehistoric people had thought that marshland was sacred because it's neither land nor sea, but something in between. Uh, they thought of it as a bridge to the afterlife, neither right. land nor sea, neither life nor death, you know, like a, a liminal zone, an in-between place. Um, right. And as so soon as kind he of the, said... In the same way that, that they held... Uh, uh, dawn and sunset is sacred because it's the the time between times. It's, it's yes, fully day, not fully night. Yes, exactly. And of course, we're talking on the summer solstice, aren't we? On the right. On the yes, we are. <laughs> it's exactly the day to talk about this. But right. Yes, exactly. It's this whole idea of the landscape itself kind of being sacred and special. Um, and as soon as he said that, that this idea for for a book came into my head, and I did sort of see. I'm I'm sorry to say this because it sounds so sort of cliched, but I did sort of see Dr. Ruth Galloway walking towards me out of the mist. You know, I, I sort of felt I knew everything about her, you know, just where she'd been to school, where she'd been to college, who her friends were. Um, and, and I wrote the crossing places sort of quite quickly and showed it to my agent. And she said, Oh, she said, Oh, this is crime. You need a crime name. So uh, I became Ellie Griffiths, almost on the spur of the moment, but it was my grandmother's name. She was Ellen Griffiths. And I think, I don't know why we picked, we decided on Ellie. I think it just looked a bit tidier on the book covers. But so, you know, I became, I became Ellie Griffiths from that moment on, really. Wow. That is, that is such an amazing story. I love <laughs> when stories and, and, and not all books come this way, uh, dear listeners. Um, but sometimes uh, it, they just kind of spring to life out of nothing, and which is fascinating to me um, because what, one of the things that I love to get people to talk about is that first moment of inspiration for a book, like where stories come from, because one moment they don't exist at all, and then something triggers something, and, and then this whole story is is birthed, and then it's your job as the as the writer to, you know, shine it up and to 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 dig it out of the ground and whatever metaphor you want to use. But, um, you know, they just kind of spring to life out of nothing. Um, have you ever had another experience um, like that one where the the story and, and characters just kind of walk out of the ether? I've never had it in quite the same way. And I've never had a character appear to me in quite the same way that Ruth did. But I have had very sort of strong feelings. And it is so interesting, isn't it? Because, um, yes. you know, every book is different. Every writer is different. But then even every book by every writer is different. So sometimes it's been the place, like, um, I remember driving across Norfolk and going past a abandoned airfield. And that gave me the idea for the ghost fields, just seeing this place that looked very spooky in the in the twilight. And I think there was a pub nearby called the Hourglass. And I just thought, wow, imagine, you know, being there, imagine flying a plane, not knowing you're going to come back and then drinking in a pub called the Hourglass. You know, that just seems so sort of poignant. So that gave me the idea <laughs> for that book. But sometimes, you know, sometimes you've got a little bit of an idea haven't you and you're worrying away at it and you're thinking you know how can I make this into a into a book and so it is everything is 
every book is different. And sometimes I think that you need one idea for a book and three for a crime novel. So sometimes <laughs> I think I've got three separate ideas, but they all turn out to be one book. And I think that was what happened to me with The Stranger Diaries, actually, that all the ideas eventually came together. So this character that that walked out of the mist um, to you, Ruth Galloway, um, tell me about Ruth. What What is it that, uh, I, and if I'm not mistaken, correct me if I am, but this is book 14 in the, yes. in the Ruth series. That is amazing to have a, a character that that can carry forth uh, for that many uh, stories. One is, is amazing. Uh, but what is it about the character of Ruth that resonates so deeply with people? It is funny, isn't it? Because some characters are great characters, but you just know you you can't keep writing about them. Right. And I think I kind of did know from the start that that Ruth was a character that I could keep writing about. And also that her relationship with, with the policeman in the books, DCI Nelson, would be a kind of complicated one and would be a kind of long relationship. Although, of course, I didn't know when I wrote that first book that I'd have the chance to write it. And I do feel really grateful to, to my publishers, you know, Quirkus in the UK and... Uh, Harper Collins now Mariner in the in the US because uh, you know they stuck with me <laughs> for 14 books to tell this sort of long story. But Ruth is a forensic archaeologist. Uh, she teaches at, at a university, a made-up university. I thought I'd better make up a university, although people still sometimes write and tell me I put it in the wrong place, but it is made up. <laughs> uh, teaches up a made-up university in in, in Norfolk, um, and she's asked by by a policeman, DCI Harry Nelson, uh, to invent to, invet, to um, as an expert to come and look at some buried bones. And I knew this was, I knew from Andy, this is something that forensic archeologists actually do. They can look at bones and see how and why they were buried. So she looks at these bones and realizes that they're over 2000 years old, but she's drawn into the case and into a very complicated relationship with Nelson. And I do think, I do think the fact that she's an archaeologist has helped because, uh, you know, it means that I can kind of roam across the centuries and the millennia in the books. You know, there's always it helps that they're in Norfolk because Norfolk is an incredibly fascinating place. Have you ever been there? I have not. You, sh- you should visit, Hank. It's so it's a beautiful part of, of England. Um, I would love to. It's very historic. It's also quite spooky in places. You know, it's beautiful, beautiful coastal views, but very old, ancient cities. It's lovely. Um, so Norfolk itself, it, it helps because there's so many stories about Norfolk, so many legends, so many ghosts, really. So much archaeology. I think it's the part of Britain that has the most archaeology. So there's that. So I, you know, I kind of hope to avoid that trap, you know, the Midsummer Murders trap where you have one (laughs) small part of the country that's kind of unfeasibly full of bodies. So, (laughs) you know, I think making an archaeologist means that, you know, Norfolk is full of bodies, but some of them have been buried for hundreds and thousands of years. So I think that sort of helps the fact that she's an archaeologist, the fact that it's in Norfolk. And I think she, she maybe is just a character who I've come to, you know, like and um uh, know better and she's a kind of complicated character so i think that helps sort of carry the books and of course her relationship with nelson is complicated and that helps and also helps that 14 books on of course now there's a big cast of other characters so that that's something else you know you could if i was only to write one book about ruth i would never have got to explore you know Cathbad and clough and judy and all those other characters so again that's i feel quite privileged to be able to do that to write so many books well, you know, having a character that that is an archaeologist, um, it, you know, a lot of times when you're writing crime thrillers, you you need um, 
the the inciting incident, uh, if we want to call it that, to kind of be in your face and and to uh, be visceral in 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 certain uh, ways. But but a lot of times you're talking about uh, you're, you're dealing with a character who is who is digging up mysteries, and and that's a different kind of storytelling when you're when you're solving cold cases uh, in a lot of ways as opposed to the the kind of visceral thing that happened last night yes definitely and of course in some of the books i have both you know i'll have a you know a a, a, a corpse on the first pages like like you've been yeah you're always told to in, in crime fiction uh, and sometimes not sometimes yes that the body's been been, been dead for, for for many years and it is kind of digging down through those layers isn't it but I find that really interesting because then you can look at the history of the case and really the history of the place as well and they're usually sort of some buried secrets buried there alongside the body so I do enjoy that part of it I think most of the books have a kind of um uh, a, a crime, a, a murder that that happens in in present day, and then there is some sort of link with uh, a case that's happened a long time ago. So in the locked room, um, there are a series of murders. Well, that look like suicides, but but Nelson thinks they might be murders. Uh, and then there's also uh, the case of a plague victim whose 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 bones um, Ruth has sort of recently dug up, and there are links between the two. So it's finding the links actually that's both a challenge <laughs> and and one of the really fun bits about writing the books. So Ellie, I, I don't know if you've noticed or not, but for the last couple of years, um, we've been dealing with a global pandemic um, <laughs> that has <laughs> that has affected people in in a number of ways. Um, a lot of writers that I've talked to have chosen to not address that that topic in in their fiction and to let their fiction be uh, an escape from the reality that that we've all you know presently live through um in this book you decide to not only address this head on but to use it as a plot device um first off tell me well first off um how has has this pandemic affected you and your creative life? Um, because, you know, as we know, most writers spend, you know, the majority of their life um, working in an office all alone, um, telling stories to themselves, you know, <laughs> uh, un until they turn them into their to their editor and their publisher. Um, but, you know, the rest of the world has been locked down along with us, which, you know, is is a, a another sort of mental um uh, stress that that people have been going through, knowing that the rest of the world is doing the same thing that we're doing. Um, but but so first off, how did you and your family um, uh, do during the pandemic, and and why did you choose to bring your characters into this reality? Well, you know, I suppose like a lot of writers, I, I felt that I was very lucky during during the pandemic, actually, because I had, you know, I had a world to escape to. I had my little shed in the garden, which is where I'm speaking to you now that I could escape to. And, you know, obviously it was a time of great worry, um, you know, an awful time. But in retrospect, you know, for me, it was sort of quite a golden time because I was here. Um, my uh, our grown up children who were at university came back for the first lockdown. So we were all here and we do yoga in the garden, as Ruth does in the book. You know, we, we binge watch lots of telly. You know, we went on long walks. I'm, I'm really lucky uh, to, to live near the sea. So we walked to the sea most days. Um, 
And, you know, I, I was very conscious that that lots of people, you know, health workers and teachers and retail workers weren't having this sort of lockdown. Um, but but really, for me, you know, it wasn't too bad. But there was that that awful sense of uncertainty as well that went through it all. Um, and I wasn't sure at first whether I was going to cover it in the book. And the trouble is, um, mind you, I was just listening to your chat with, with Hannah Mae um, McKinnon, who, who's, who's great. I love her books. She wrote three books in lockdown. I felt, I felt quite <laughs> inadequate listening to her talking. I think we all did. But, um, but, you know, I kind of knew that I would have to decide because I was contracted to write a book a year, that I have to decide quite quickly whether I was going to cover um lockdown so the night talks which is book 13 was the book actually written in lockdown and that's kind of full of longing for sort of norfolk and places that i couldn't go to really um but i knew that the next one i'd have to make the decision because the night talks ends at the end of ends in december 2019 so i knew that i have to make a decision whether or not to cover lockdown um and and you know i did wonder whether people would want to read about it whether people just wanted a break but in the end I thought that as I'd written a book about Ruth every year for 14 years, it sort of felt wrong to miss out. It sort of felt wrong to miss out COVID and lockdown. And I thought when I looked back on the series, I might feel, um, you know, an opportunity had been missed in a way. And uh, I did read that uh, very few fiction writers wrote about the Spanish flu epidemic of, of um, 1918. And, you know, it just isn't isn't in many books in many fictional books so I thought that would be a shame if, if, if that were true so um I decided to cover it and I decided to have Ruth and Nelson in lockdown and you know and I know that that all maybe sounds a bit high-minded but of course another part of me thought what an opportunity you know what right. an opportunity these these characters who've been kept apart by various forces now they could either be kept apart by lockdown or brought together by lockdown and um you know a lot of crime writers I, I'm really fascinated by locked room mysteries and I thought well here's the whole country in its own the whole world almost in its own locked room mystery so um those were the considerations you know when I started to write the book but you know it was tough it was tough for, for me to relive it in a way I kept a diary always kept a diary but particularly kept one during during lockdown so even looking back on it I don't know if, if you found that but something weird's happened to our memories hasn't it because yes 2020 just seems decades away really so I was glad that I'd kept the diary because I could remember what those days were like so in the end it was was very challenging to write it but but I am glad I did well it's and and the title itself is is a nod to those great you know Agatha Christie locked room mysteries that we all love and adore yes um when you first when the elements of the story first started coming together for you and and you started uh you know realizing you know I'm I am going to address this uh, this global pandemic head on and I'm going to bring it into the story. Um, how did the other pieces uh, start coming together for you? Well, I um, I sort of had always wanted to set a book in um, the centre of Norwich, which is a sort of the, the main city in Norfolk. And there's an area around the cathedral that's called Tombland. Actually, genuinely is called Tombland. And uh, well, in fact, that the wonderful C.J. Sanson wrote a book called Tombland about this area in the 16th century. And uh, rather disappointingly, though, actually, it comes from, I think, an, an old Anglo-Saxon word meaning empty space. So it's not quite as spooky as it sounds. But so I always wanted to set a story around there. Um, and I started looking into it and I, I found that um, 
that Norwich, the centre of Norwich, had gone through two big epidemics of the plague, one in the 13th century, one in the 16th century. And so I knew that that would be a sort of um, a parallel that I could draw in the books, you know, to look at, at Norwich in the plague years um, and to look at it in, in during lockdown, because there was a form of lockdown. And, you know, horribly, it was basically people being sort of bricked into the houses if they had the plague. And there was a terrible story that, that I came across um, when I was researching the book, that there was a, a house in, in Norwich that, that was sealed up during, during the, the plague because the inhabitants uh, were, were ill, were sick with the plague. And then when they unsealed it, they find the bodies of a man and woman and, and a young girl. And it seemed like the young girl might have eaten her parents' flesh to try and stay alive. So it's a really mm. horrible story. But her ghost walks uh, Tombland and she's called the Grey Lady. So I kind of knew that that had to come into the book as well. So there were lots of, you know, there were lots of interesting historical parallels. Even they had characters, um, people called watchers, and they would go around checking that people were socially distancing. And they carried a long stick. I don't know if it was two meters long, but it was basically to keep people apart. So all those things, you know, had to go into the book, really. Wow. It's so funny that, you know, the the old saying, and, and I guess um, King Solomon said at first that there's nothing new under the sun. Um, I, I guess that really is true, isn't it? it? It really is true. And I think it's something very interesting, isn't it? When when you, you look at history or, or archaeology or something like that, it's it seeing those parallels, really. And we right. think... We think things are new. We think our experiences are new. And also, it's easy to imagine that people who lived a long, long time ago didn't have the same emotions of us. But of course, right. they did. Of course, they were scared. Of course, of course, uh, you know, they, they were worried about their loved ones. You know, there are all these um, all these analogies, really. It's one of the, the, the wonderful things about writing about the past, I think. Well, they just didn't have smartphones to tweet about what they were feeling. <laughs> no, they didn't. Although um, I do quote Julian of Norwich, who was he's a famous um, a poet uh, writing in the 1300s. I think she was the first woman, the first woman in Britain to be published as a poet. Um, but she wrote about um, the plague and, you know, she wrote about her, her religious experiences from the plague. So maybe maybe that was the, the 13th century equivalent of tweeting about it. <laughs> oh, Ellie, you, you mentioned earlier that, uh, you know, with your previous book, you knew that you were at the end of 2019. And then with the locked room, you're, you're bringing us into uh, more of the current time. Um, it Because you are um, following uh natural time uh in, in a lot of cases with these um ruth galloway and company are are aging and they are going through life like the rest of us um how are you um how are you tracking um ruth through through this series of books and does the um the seasons of life does that uh, affect the story I, I guess what i'm asking is is how how is the character continuing to develop, um, you know, as she ages, as she goes through life like the rest of us are? That's a great that's a great question. I think it is again one of the the great sort of privileges really of getting to write so much about one group of characters. So. Um, Ruth started off the same age as me, but now I think she's a bit younger. Somehow that's happened. Um, but th <laughs> though she, she has followed followed in, in real time, I think, because a couple of books take place over the same year or something. Um, so, yeah, she's, she's now in her, in her 50s and, and her, her daughter. It's particularly when I, when I look at her daughter, Kate, actually, that I think 
just like you do with your own children. Wow, where's that time gone? You know, because right. Kate is 11 in, in the locked room. And, you know, I vividly remember the book in which she was born. So, you know, that that marks out time as again, as it does with our own children. But it, it I, I find it quite, um, you know, quite, quite fun and interesting, challenging as well to write about characters as they're aging. And one of the things is, of course, Nelson, the detective character, is now facing the kind of spectre, well, damn, it is a spectre, of, of retiring. Um, and at one time, you know, police officers, you know, and I've got a police advisor, as lots of writers have, a wonderful man called Graham Bartlett, and he had to retire at 50. And you think of all the experience that he had. Um, that seems crazy to me, but he was sort of forced to retire. Um, but now that isn't the case. Now, officers aren't forced to retire but there is a bit of pressure on them to retire and Nelson gets a lot of pressure from his his boss with whom he doesn't get on so well sort of dynamic woman known as Super Joe and she would quite like him to retire so she could bring in a, <laughs> a fresh new bit of new blood into into the into the department so you know I wanted to write about that and, and what happens with, with the next challenge I think um, Ian Rankin's done it really well with Rebus you know that, that he is now older you know and he's not very well and he's walking around with his little dog and he's short of breath and I think he's he's done that very well because he hasn't shied away from you know I guess there is that um uh temptation to keep your characters the same as ever you know um but but actually if you do let them age I think that that makes it a bit more satisfying really right well, the 14th Ruth Galloway mystery uh, book, The Locked Room, when you're hearing this, is available everywhere, and you need to go grab it today. <laughs> this is a book you need to have. Uh, we'll have links to it in the show notes where you can grab the Kindle edition or the audiobook, uh, or the hardcover if you want to hold the paper in your hand, um, or, or go visit your local bookstore and, and definitely uh, keep local bookstores in business. Give them your business. Um <laughs> Ellie, what do you think about the the audiobook uh, treatment for your books? You know, over the last uh, five years or so, especially uh, audiobooks are just skyrocketing, and uh, you know the 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 biggest growth market in publishing right now is audio. How do you feel about your books uh, being translated into this form? Isn't it interesting how that how that market has grown? I think it's really interesting. Well, yes. you know, when when lockdown happened. Uh, I, one of the things that I thought I might do is is on just on my Facebook page, I thought I'd read my first Ruth book, uh, The Costume Places, aloud, just just live on the phone. You know, it was very low tech. I just filmed myself on my phone because I, I just remember when I was young, you know, when my mum used to read to me, it was very comforting and really nice. Yes. And I thought we all needed a bit of comfort and it might be a nice thing to do. And, and it really was. I read a chapter a day. But my goodness, it gave me a great respect for those uh, audio artists, those voice artists. Oh, it's artists. a lot of work work oh it's sure. so difficult and it's so and this is my own book and you know i i found it quite difficult sometimes I thought, who's speaking whose voice am i meant to be doing you know, all those <laughs> things and, and you know that they're, they're so good i'm absolutely in awe of them you know and and you know the diff, different audio versions um in the us and the uk are both sort of amazing um and um and, and also you know foreign language ones as well so i i really think it's an amazingly good thing that this this new market has has grown up and it is just comforting isn't it hearing somebody read to you i love it absolutely i love it too the locked room ruth galloway mystery series book 14 out everywhere now go grab it uh, <laughs> you won't be disappointed um ellie dominica thank you so much for joining me on the show today thank you so much i really enjoyed it thanks for having me